Let's go ahead and get started with, uh, with the word of prayer. So, um, um, excuse me. Um, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who didst teach the hearts of thy faithful people by sending them the light of thy Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment Um, in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee, and the, the unity of the same Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. All righty. Um, so this last chapter of James... Uh, Let's just dive in. Get get to those first uh, uh, one one. So James five one through eleven. Uh, who wants to get us started by reading those first verses? This first half. James one through eleven. James five one through eleven. Sorry. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer <clears throat> waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so we'll look at that first part there. Um, there's, well, I guess there's only one part. There's discuss and then apply. Nothing to really look at here uh, to pull out for further um, examination, I guess, before we discuss. So let's just jump into the discussion. Uh, the first question, the rich are tempted to rejoice in their riches, 
James says they should weep and wail. Why? They're supposed to take care of the poor with those riches. Mm -hmm. They're going to be punished. They're going to be punished for what? Being rich? For not helping, for not being there for those in need. They're not yes. paying their know. servants, do they? That's exactly what I was thinking. You what? Well, not, uh, for not being a Democrat. <laughs> it's, it's all these people up there in Washington, D.C. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't pay their field hands or something. Yeah. yeah, there's something about that. It's kind of interesting. I'll get into it in a minute. But um, They're really slacking. What else? So so, why, so they're slacking in what in what way? They're not giving the, the charity to the poor or, or they're not they're paying people? They're thinking only about themselves, yeah. like many of the young people this day and time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, he's... He, yeah, and what has James been doing this whole time? We've been talking about how he's always pointing these people, at least in the epistle here, he's saying, look to the end. What's going to happen at the end? Jesus is coming. He's going to come and judge righteously. And if you are rich, it's one of those things where um, to be known as rich means that that is what you put your full fear, love, and trust in, right? That's what he's getting at. Because he's saying, he says what at the beginning, um, and he says, let the lowly brother, you know, at, in chap, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, let, let the lowly brother boast, boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, right? So it's like, the, the rich people should rejoice that God eventually will take their riches away because riches are most oftentimes a burden. And when Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon, you know, he means that. You have to serve one or the other. And those who are known as rich predominantly are the ones who are serving their own wealth, right? Or putting all their fear, love, and trust in that. Um, so he's telling them, look to the future, look to when Christ is coming back, because you're happy now, but what your happiness is in is going to be taken away. It's all going to just be burned away, washed away, whatever you want to say. Uh, it'll be rotten, you know, all the stuff they'll have will just fall away. It'll be rotten, be eaten by moths, you know, and this sounds a lot like Jesus, where he says, store up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath nor must, moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, right? Store up your, for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so, and, and, and I was reading, I've been using this book a lot to kind of help flesh out a few more things. James, the Apostle of Faith, uh, by one of my professors at the seminary, um, Dr. Uh, David Scare. And one thing, and he puts this really interesting perspective on that. He said, what treasures do we have when we're in heaven? You know, are, are we going to get up there from all of our good deeds and have like a pot of gold waiting for us? We won't need it. Yeah, we won't need it. So what are the treasures we're, we're seeking to store up for ourselves in heaven? And if you really think about it, Jesus, when he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, moth nor rust destroy, 
when you are doing good works, are you just kind of out there doing good works for yourself, doing good works for the birds and the bees? Who are you doing your good works for? Not only God, but who else? People. Your neighbor. Your neighbor, right. And so ideally, the treasure that you would store up for yourself in heaven would be those people, right? That God would be glorified through your good works, that they would see your good works and give glory to God, and eventually at some point through your service and even the word of God, especially the word of God, actually only the word of God, right? The service leading to the word of God would be the thing that would store up themselves in heaven, right? Whether that be your family, your friends, the people close by you, whatever. Your treasure that's in heaven are going to be the people that you have been given to serve and, and, and to show God's love to, right? And that's, and that's why it's a, a beautiful thing to hear, you know, I think it was what, for this Luther Classical College, um, one of the things I think in their little brief statement of what they want to do, they, they say things like, one of the things they say, at least it said, they said at one point in time, we want to teach people that, that their children are the gifts of God that they can bring with them to heaven. Right? Your children are the treasures you can bring with you. That's just a wonderful thought, isn't it? It's beautiful. Um, and so that along with all the other people too. Yeah? So when you are putting your... Uh, full fear, love, and trust in your riches, then you are, I mean, I think that James is not doing a blanket condemnation of people who are wealthy, right? Because the church needs wealthy people on some level, right? They need uh, people to give of what God has blessed them with in order to keep things going. I mean, we wouldn't have, uh, well, this is just a general statement, right? We We wouldn't have you know, this church, we wouldn't have beautiful churches across the world, you know, without people giving of what God has blessed them with, right? And so you have these things for the glory of God. Um, but when you hold on to your wealth, when you're stingy, when you are greedy, uh, and in fact, what, what we've seen in James here, he's talking about rich people taking people to court, right? And if the church is struggling, right? If the church is struggling, the pastors especially are having a hard time not wanting to or trying not to pander specifically to the wealthy so that they can kind of keep things going, you know? It's a, it's a temptation of even pastors to say, you know, well, we don't want to lose this person or that person because if we do, who knows how we're going to make ends meet? And it's just like, well, God knows, Right? So, yeah, it's one of those things where when you have the rich that are only focused on their riches, they should be reminded, weep and wail, because do it now as opposed to the end. And because in the end, all the weeping and wailing, this is going to sound harsh, right? In the end, when Jesus comes back, if, if you're found holding on to only your wealth, you will weep and wail, but it will, it's not going to do you any good. Right? It's going to be too late. And it's the same thing of like when Paul says in Philippians, right? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee and every tongue, right? Even the ones that don't want to, they will be made to because they won't have a choice, but it's not going to save them, right? 
So this is a warning. It's a warning to say, fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Not in your wealth, not in the things of this world. Um, and uh, one other thing I was going to say, um, I know I've, I've, I've been saying, and I, I kind of appreciate the insight of here from uh, uh, Dr. Scare, is that, you know, we've seen that there's an argument to be made that James is writing this to primarily pastors, but also generally everybody, because everybody can benefit from this, right? But for pastors, it's kind of interesting. He, he makes this neat point. He says, behold, uh, in verse four, right? Uh, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Um, I think I agree with Dr. Scare. It's because they're not paying the pastors enough. The pastors are the harvesters. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? Therefore, uh, pray to the Lord of the harvest, which is Jesus himself, right? So on some level, he's saying maybe, because in the Levitical codes, in the moral law, there wasn't just, you know, like, is he only focusing on the harvesters? <coughs> there are other areas that people can be chastised for, but he says, I think he's talking about them not not paying their pastors enough. And therefore, pastors are more susceptible to want to curry favor with the wealthy because we need you kind of thing. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting thought. I mean, uh, because because Jesus talks a lot in harvest kind of language in that way too. So, I mean, take it or leave it. I think that's a pretty neat thought. Maybe, maybe I like it a lot because it's talking about pastors. But uh, it's kind of interesting. What do y'all think? Well, all through James, he's, he's pushing humbleness. Mm -hmm. And you don't find many rich, humble people. Yeah. You know, most of them think that their wealth came from their own effort and all this kind of stuff. And God says he blesses the rich and the poor. Yeah. He gives the rich people their wealth. Mm -hmm. And the richer you are, the more he expects you to do with that wealth. Right. Yeah, too much, so you're going to, be to whom much is given, much will be required. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And even though Jesus says it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven, he said, but with God, all things are possible. Right. right? Put your faith in God. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Well, look at Job. I mean, God blessed him twice. Yeah. We're going to look at Job in a second here. Yeah, for sure. Or we're going to at least mention Job and talk about him. Um, any other thoughts about that first question about the rich who are tempted to rejoice in their wealth? Well, um, how do I say this? Uh, I've heard this saying, you don't own assets, assets own you. Mm. You know what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they own you because yeah. all of a sudden, like you, you said, instead of spending your time worshiping God, you're Okay, I gotta be a steward of these, and they're keeping you busy. Yeah. And if they own you, and over here you're a child of God, He owns you. You're struggling. Oh, God yeah. owns you. So, 
Yeah. There you go. Yeah, you cannot serve two masters. Yeah, and that's what you said. That's the way I see it. You know, God owns you because you're a child of God. And then these assets own you. And you yeah. gotta another guy. It is. You gotta just gotta be careful, I guess. Yeah, you have you have to be very careful. Um because yeah, wealth is a Jesus understood, I mean, as being God, he understands the pull that our hearts have towards wealth, you know, that we desire to have more. And he talks a lot about it, right? So we got to be careful, like you said, be careful, watch out, watch yourself. And like St. Paul says, take heed to stand lest you fall, right? Do whatever you can. If, if your riches are leading you astray and you're, well, first of all, yeah, if your riches are leading you astray and taking your devotion away from God, that adds stress, anxiety, worry, doubt, affliction, all this stuff. And I don't know, it, it seems like, what is it? Um, have you seen people who, uh, who win the lottery? They come from, like, they don't really make a whole lot. I mean, it's, I don't know. I never understand why anybody would want to play the lottery. You know, sometimes I go into the, the, the corner store or whatever and I just see all kinds of people getting pick six and all these lottery tickets and everything like that. And I just go, man, I just, I don't understand it. But it's like the people that win, they win millions of dollars. Does their life get any better? No, it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> Not only have to pay the taxes on it, but, but the thing is, is that like you get it. And then all of a sudden, all these people come out of the woodwork and they want something from you and they're always, and they're all trying to get it. And so you find that a lot of people who get the, who get rich in the lottery, they wind up losing most, if not all that money in not a long time. And then they wind up actually being happier because of it. It's like, I'm actually happier that I don't have all that stuff, but, um, not to say that being rich is bad, but, but it can be a hindrance. It's definitely a temptation. So you got to be careful with that. Absolutely. A black man that was fairly, fairly old and won the lottery. Mm -hmm. and they asked him what he was going to do with the money. So I'm going to give it away. Yeah. I don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If he was old and everything, yeah. he's like, I'm just maybe I'll keep enough to live off of, but so give the rest it. to somebody else. Yeah. He gave it to charities, mm -hmm. all kinds of charities, his church and all other charities. He gave it all away. God bless him. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there was a guy on uh, Wheel of Fortune that did that too. Mm -hmm. He won, right. he won the million dollars, didn't he, or something? And he, he, that's a big temptation. You said, yeah, you know, I think they had worked for two charities, uh -huh. and he said they just went ahead and gave it to them. Of course, what they didn't tell him was they were CEO of both charities. <laughs> 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 they had the tax write-off. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I think the statistics are that eighty percent of the people that win lotteries within six months are flat broke. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I I to totally believe that. And and absolute misery. Oh yeah. Now That's the reason I haven't won. <laughs> God is God is sparing you. Yeah, yeah. God so is sparing. I, would, I wouldn't spend it all. <laughs> God is sparing you if you haven't won. But I, I truly believe. But um, anyways, I mean, if you play the lottery, you play the lottery. It's, well, I don't know if you should really gamble. You can't win unless you play. It's true. <laughs> I'd rather not bother. I'd just yeah. rather, rather get what I get from God. Good. Yeah.
I'll do better get struck by lightning. I don't want to do that either. <laughs> no. Uh, any other thoughts about this first question? About the rich being tempted to rejoice in their wealth? Okay, how about that next one? James is giving wealth a voice and putting words into its mouth. How will rotting and decaying wealth testify against the rich person? These are all kind of the same answer. They should have shared their money. They should have, okay, yeah. I mean, what does he say about that? That it will testify against you and their corrosion will be the evidence against you and will eat your flesh, flesh like fire. fire. You yeah. laid up treasure in the last days. Yeah, because you didn't, what, you thought you could find lasting happiness in wealth. Uh, you rejected the lasting happiness that God offered you in Christ. That's the warning, right? Or that's what your wealth will tell you on the last day. Say, it'll be... A testimony against you, and and this Sunday we're we're um, celebrating the Holy Trinity, uh, Holy Trinity Sunday, and we'll be reading through the Athanasian Creed. And I think I brought this up before, didn't I? That in the Athanasian Creed there are some things that might make us a little uncomfortable. I say that um, where in in the Athanasian. Well, first of all, it says you know this is this is the Catholic faith, right? And it's a small C Catholic. But I, I heard recently from a pastor, he said, um, when you read that, read the authentic faith. That's a good way to read that word, too. Um, let me try and find it here. The Athanasian Creed, at, at the end, it says, you know, uh, at his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. That makes us a little uncomfortable because we go, well, we're saved by grace through faith alone. But in the end, like we've been talking about with James, if your faith is without works, faith without deeds, then it's a dead faith. It, it's, it's like seeing, seeing a corpse on the ground and saying, hey, that's a person. You go, but there's no breath in them. You know, how can I, like, they're not alive. That's like someone saying, I believe, and, and it's like the guy, you know, James's example of someone passing by someone who's hungry and freezing and saying, be warm and be filled and walking away. You know, go get him a jacket and a sandwich. That's, that's something you can do. And that'll be something that Jesus smiles upon because he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, right? When I was naked, you clothed me. Things like that, right? So it's one of those things of that we will be judged on our deeds done in faith. Yeah? And I'm not going to go through all that again, but this is the rich people here that who are doing their deeds. Uh, like you said, the assets have taken possession of them. You know, their assets own them now, and they serve that God, and their deeds are only toward that wealth. And it's a false idol. Yeah? Um, in fact, I think I read in Isaiah, um, in Isaiah this morning when I was doing some Bible, some just like light reading, <laughs> Isaiah. Um, I was doing some reading in Isaiah, and I was reading Isaiah 48, and it's very interesting that God says to Israel at some point, 
He says, um, hear this, O house of Jacob, and he goes on, um, for you call yourselves holy and things like that, right? And he says, um, what is he saying? Um, yeah, he said, because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass, so they're hard-headed, right? I declared them to you from of old before they came to pass. I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my, my, my metal, my carved, excuse me, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. Right? He's talking about false idols, right? So lest you say, my wealth has gotten me all these things, my wealth has brought me comfort and security and happiness, you know, you should really understand who really brought these things to you, and that is God himself, right? And on the last day, your false idol will actually testify against you and condemn you if you're not careful, right? So this is not fun to read, but it is something we should keep in mind. Yeah? Any other thoughts about that? I guess I don't want to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, so if ever you have problems with money, give thanks to God. <laughs> Say like, well, at least I don't have too much. <laughs> I have as much as I need, right? Um, and, and this is something else I heard, something to keep in mind, and then we'll go on. I heard from another uh, pastor one time, he said, and I can't remember if he heard this from like a church, if he read this from a church father or something. Anyways, he said... Wealth, you know, gold, silver, money, these things are created things, just like birds and bees and things like that, right? Rocks and, and hills and, and pagans, you know, or people who worship false gods, they worship the image of creation, right? They glorify the creation and not the creator. And the thing is, is that that is, that is a sin against that creation. Because, like, let's say for some reason, I don't know who would do this. Well, yeah, I see a lot of people who might do this. They worship their pets. They worship their dogs, you know, uh, or their cats, or their horses, or their sheep, or whatever, you know. And by worship, I mean they just devote everything to them, and they don't do anything else, right? Um, and you say, like, you say, that dog is a gift from God. Give glory to God, you have that dog. But don't misuse that dog in the way of like just having it take all your love and affection, right? That would have otherwise been given in glory to God, right? So it's like one of those things of saying like it's a fine line to walk because on the last day, even those things will testify against you. Like the dog and the cats that said, you know, you didn't go to church because you were too busy taking care of me or whatever. Say like, I didn't want you to do that, and I wish I would have told you. I wish I could have told you, but I can't. I'm not, I'm not Balaam's donkey, you know? Uh, but it's one of those things where you say that that's a sin against that creation, right? It's a sin against God and against what he has given to you to take care of. So uh, just something to keep in mind, right? On, on, on the last day, those things will testify against you if you idolize them in that way. Okay, any thoughts about that? Questions? Sorry. <laughs> For what? For what? 
if I idolized all of my dogs. <laughs> no, 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 no. You loved, you loved your dogs. They were a gift from God, right? And and like I, I love, I love my dog. I, I, I've loved all the dogs that I've had. Maybe sometimes I got a little close to idolizing them, you know, and taking care of them, you know, and. Uh, well, I don't dress them up. <laughs> I never dressed. In fact, I didn't even put a collar on. <laughs> no, you took care of your dogs, right? You took care of your dogs, and, and that's a good thing. That's a, being a good steward. Some people like her kids. Same thing. I'm sorry. I, I I really don't have any sympathy for people not like you, but like people who will. You know that you know. I see them all throughout Fredericksburg when they visit. They're married or they're not, whatever. That's a whole other thing. But they're walking around with their dogs and strollers as if they're children. And I'm just like, uh, what are you doing? Like, I was just like, and it's, and, and what's also a little strange to me too, on some level, and I, and maybe there's more there than what I think, but I think to myself, it's like, we're walking around with our kids on Main Street, and it's kind of funny, like, we get different reactions with our kids than if we have only Greta. Because if we had Greta, our dog, walking around, people comment, they go, ooh, look at that little dog, look at that sweet little dog. But with our kids, like, no one, they could care less about our kids. I'm just like, my children are so much more beautiful than my dog. You know, I love my dog, but man, my kids are great. I don't know, but maybe, I, I'm their dad, so. I'm their dad, and so it's one of those things, Just I just think it's kind of funny how you know, people are with, 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 with their pets these days for the forsaking other good gifts that God would give people. You'll get over that when they're teenagers. What's that? <laughs> when they're 13. No, yeah. I'll still love them. It'll be good. Oh, but it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Well, it'll, it'll be a love-hate situation. <laughs> Who stole my son? Who left me this creature? This creature. Well, you just don't understand that. Yeah. What right. I'm going through. Right. It's yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, the girl God will, will still be with us. The girl will good. give you the hardest time. Well, sure. yeah, <laughs> she's she's already given us a little hard time. She's two. <laughs> Like, or wait till she's. <laughs> yeah, I know, but yeah, I know, I know, I know. Wait, wait, wait. But yeah, I get it. But I raised two of them. The Lord will still be with us, right? The Lord, thank, thankfully, the Lord is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. So He will be with us through all those things, right? Three yeah. is better than two. She'll change. Yeah, she's yeah. she's already getting better. I don't mean to say that she's a terror. She's just she gets a little difficult sometimes. But you know what? That's sin. That's a sinful nature. It really does, actually. Yeah, it's true. It really does. I've been praying a lot recently. Um, and not because just of bad things. I've just, for some reason, I, I give thanks to God that I've just had the, the Holy Spirit has been prompting me more and more to just stop for just a second and say a quick prayer. It's been very, I've uh, been very blessed with that, that prompting of the Holy Spirit. And yet we can see some of the love. And training that she's getting at home. She's Good. showing more love for her brother. Oh yeah, she loves Henry. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah, she's being yeah, and now he's he's trying to run. He can barely walk, but he's trying to run. <laughs> so that's a, yeah, oh, he's, he's a sweet guy. Anyways, this is enough about my kids. 
Thank you for making me feel good about my children. <laughs> Not like those people on the street who just walk by and don't say anything. You'll remember how we warned you, though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, that's fine. Yeah. How many times I wanted to jump over a cliff. <laughs> well, it's, well, I'd also appreciate like encouragement to say yeah. you're gonna get through it. <laughs> yeah, you you'll do. get through it, right? Yeah, and yeah. When people on the street are probably just jealous anyway. That's, That's right, Tim. Yeah. They should be jealous, anyways. That's right. They might want children. <laughs> That's a shame. That's a shame. All right, so let's let's keep going here. For the sake of time, uh, I'm enjoying. I'm really enjoying this conversation. We can get to uh, James makes some very pointed statements. What is so ironic about the wealthy person hoarding wealth in the last days? So we'll just answer that one first. What's so ironic about that? Can't take it with you. Yeah, you can't take it with you. You're that's the ultimate uh, slap in the face because now you know you were hoarding all this stuff mm -hmm. and now you're gone, so you're not alive to give it to who you want. It's going to go somewhere, but you've got nothing to do with it. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can control it. Well. Yeah. You can control it in your will, yeah. Um, no, but, yeah, and this, when I, when I read this, I said, well, he's talking about um, the Bible continually warns you about wealth and the last days and what have you, and if you know that the last days are near, why would you keep hoarding your wealth when you know what the penalty is going to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the penalty is that your wealth will testify against you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, God, God, God will yes. judge them. Yes, and you know, it's kind of interesting. It's like when you see in Proverbs 13, 22, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous, right? Um, I, 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 it's disheartening to me to see how there are so many people who are close to death, you know, from what you can see on the outside, right? We're not God. We don't know how close they really are. But it's like they're getting older, and they're getting older and older and older. Like I think I, I went to visit somebody in, uh, uh, in one of the assisted living nursing homes, and they pointed out somebody, and they said, see her over there? Uh, that's her and her daughter, but she won't let them touch any of what she has in her wealth or her assets. That's probably smart. I guess, but it's just like they keep saying, Mom, we'll take care of things, we'll handle things. I bet they will. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well that's a bad attitude. It'll go right in their pockets. Yeah, well, that, what's she going to do with it? She's in assisted living. That's costs, what I'm asking, right? It costs a lot of money to be in assisted yeah, living. Yeah, but yeah. they're going to go ahead and take care of it for her. And if they don't, I mean, that's them, but if they want her to stay in assisted living, they're just going to keep paying the bill. 
Why does she have to have control over all of her money when she's not doing anything with it while she's in assisted living? That's my question. Yeah. I don't know the situation. I don't I don't know the situation, but I see more and more there are so many parents who are reluctant to actually hand things over to their children to take care of. Yeah, kids are care of it. <laughs> well, who raised them not to take care of it? We did. The devil. That's right. <laughs> the devil. You calling yourself the devil now, too? <laughs> I, I'm not worried about my kids. They won't spend it. But they're, yeah, I know. They're, they're husbands and their children. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying is like, does that woman not trust herself enough to raise her kids well enough to well, take care of probably got it all laid out and it's all going to charity when she does. Maybe she right does. Maybe, Maybe she, she does. So I'm not going to speculate yeah. too much, but yeah. She what? knows her daughter better than anybody. Well, maybe. But I mean, I mean, what's going to happen when she dies anyway? What, they're all going to fight over it? I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, Lord have mercy then. Lord have mercy. It's terrible, right? Well, it's te- I mean... I mean, no, it's terrible. I'm just going to say that like... <laughs> The, the thing is, is that I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not there. I can't, I can't say for sure what I would do in that situation. I don't know their, their daughters and sons or whatever, but it's like, I don't know. I, I've just seen too many instances where the children have been, I guess, brought up to expect that they're going to get something or be able to be brought along to take over something. And they wind up not getting any of it, if very little of it, because it's been, I don't know, taken away from them or something. And so it's like, it's very kind of sad to see that. I heard this one story of this Dutch, <laughs> um, let me know what you think about this story. Uh, there's, uh, it's anecdotal, okay? But there's a, um, what is it? It's over in the Netherlands, they're Dutch, they're farmers. They've had this land, this acreage, for umpteen generations, right? Going back so far, it's hard to even count, right? And uh, the father, you know, so like the father has a son. The son's about my age. He's in his 30s or so, you know, early 30s, late 20s. The father says, I'm going to hand the farm over to you. And so I want you to go to school to learn the agricultural sciences to be able to take care of this farm. And then, so the son does that. And then he gets his master's. And he's spending his time and his money going to school to do this, to take over the family farm. And then one day when he's out walking around the fields, surveying the things and trying to take care of what he's going to be taken care of, all of a sudden he, he sees this guy in the field walking towards him. And he goes, can I help you? And he said, yeah, I just bought this portion. And he goes, what do you mean you just bought this portion? This is our field. This is our land. And he said, no, I talked to your father, and I already bought a certain number, uh, like a certain size of the field. And the son goes back to the father and says, what, what did you do? Did you, did you really sell parts of this land? Like this been in our family for generations and generations? Did you really sell that land? He goes, yeah, because, you know, um, I figured it, it'd be okay. And I want, and, and I, I, I need a little bit more to pad my income. I need more to pad my lifestyle. And the son said, do you realize that you just chopped up a part of the field to where even if I kept the part that you kept for me, I can't be profitable. I'm not going to be able to live off of this. 
you told like you sold my inheritance away so that you could be more comfortable. And so now the son doesn't talk to his dad anymore and the dad doesn't understand that he did anything wrong. What do y'all think about that story? Do you think that's right? Of the father to do that? Well, in his old age, he probably wasn't thinking like he did. He's well, like, he he's like, he should have talked to his son. Yeah, that's yeah, right. They should have worked it out together. That's right. Yeah. They should have talked to the son and the son should have said, dad, I'll, I'll help you with whatever exactly. I can. Yeah. Have you, but to just sell it out from under his nose. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a focus on wealth that is dangerous. And now his son is alienated and doesn't want to talk to him. Doesn't want anything to do with him. It's very sad, right? I'm not saying that everybody's doing that, but when you see those things, you go, what is going through people's minds that they think that that's okay? You know, it's, it's, it's just really sad to see how wealth and riches really just erode the sense that God gives you or the things that you should be taking care of above those things. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe the father had dementia. <laughs> no, he, he does not have dementia. Oh, no. It's just oh. a sign of the time. Yeah. End of time. Yeah. Well, yeah, but... You let's... know, Schwann's Dairy. You mm -hmm. see those trucks? Yeah, Schwann's, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. They're Mr. Lutheran. Mr. Schwann died, mm -hmm. and he left $40 million to the evangelical Wisconsin Synod yeah. Lutheran Church. Mm -hmm. The family sued... The Lutheran Church, because they said Daddy didn't leave him enough money to run the dairy. I don't know how it ended, though. That's interesting. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's money. on Google. They said, no. Well, it's been sold to somebody else. Now it's called Yellow. Ah. <laughs> oh, really? He didn't leave him enough money maybe not. to run the dairy. Well, then that's on him, right? Yeah. I mean, that's on him. But it went to the church. Yeah, he should have taken care of his family, first and foremost, and given whatever he had left over to the church if he wanted to. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that every instance like that is bad. Mm -hmm. it, it shows a sense of, kind of a sense of foolishness on some level, but I'm just saying that, like, there's, we, we're going to get to the application part here, like, in modern-day America, uh, so we'll get to more of that, but I just want to throw that out there to say, you know, we can make excuses for these people, but in the end, we can still say, that's still not good, you know, mm -hmm. and have it be a warning to say, let's do our best not to do that right? Take care of our kids, take care of what's been given to us and, and not be foolish, right? Um, okay, so he says, so a couple verses later, we're still on number three, a couple verses later, James makes an equally ironic statement, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What does he mean by that? Everybody's going to die, and your money is a false idol that will testify against you. Mm -hmm. So when you fatten your hearts in the day of slaughter, what is he basically saying you're doing? Killing yourself. Yeah. Reading. Yeah, you're getting fat so that you can be slaughtered, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. We fatten, we fatten um, you know, cows and pigs just so we can butcher them, right? It's like you're... You think you're taking care of yourself, but really you're just setting yourself up for getting chopped up, mm -hmm. right? So he says, uh, God will butcher them. That is that he will judge them, right? Um, it's actually kind of interesting. I think Jesus even says in one of the gospels to one of the servants that does something wicked in one of the parables, like he will chop him up into little pieces and put him outside. 
know? So it's like, ooh, that's pretty harsh, but that's judgment, right? That's judgment against sin. Uh, and idolatry is the worst sin, right? Um, it's, it's not fearing, loving, and trusting God above all things. Okay? Spend enough time on that one, I think. About the next one. It is clear that James is talking about Christians who have fallen from faith or who are very near falling from faith. How does this become clear in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 5? Others will testify against you. Yeah. Maybe even your own pastor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not to put an adversarial relationship between us. Yeah. <laughs> If I, was, if I was seeking to be uh, um, <laughs> less than what I'm called to be, I would say, just do what I tell you to do and everything's going to be fine. That's not how it works, right? Um, but the thing is, is that, yeah, I mean, there, are, there probably, probably will, will be cases with some people where their pastor has warned them or something like that. And they say, no, who, who are you? Or just disregard him. And then in, in, in the last days... Yeah, pastor might be one of the the witnesses against them. I mean, so that's not that pastors are always right, because they're not. I mean, I know you know plenty of times pastors have been wrong, right? And they do things that are wicked and abominable. But if the pastor is speaking from the word of God and saying, God's word says this, and you know, you're doing contrary to that, you know, it, it would be good to listen heed his words, um, especially that the worker deserves his wages. And thankfully, y'all take very good care of me, so I'm very thankful for that. You take care of me and my family, um, so I don't have anything to say on that front. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there, there are a lot of churches, I'm sure, where, um, you know, I, I know of several instances where a pastor was just released from his call because the church couldn't pay him anymore. Like, that's why they released him from his call. It's not that he was teaching false doctrine. It's not that he was living a horrible life, you know, a, a, a life that was sinful and totally ungodly. And it's not that he was derelict in his duties. Those are the only real three reasons why you should remove a pastor from his call. He wasn't doing any of those things. They just couldn't pay him. So they said, bye, see you later. God bless you. Be warm and be filled. Were people leaving the church where yeah. it got smaller and smaller? No. no, the situation that I'm thinking of right now is that they called, they called him, and they had set aside a fund to pay him from. They weren't paying him from the offerings, and they had lost a lot of people during the vacancy, and they thought bringing a new pastor in might bring people back. And when it didn't, and the fund ran out, they didn't have enough in the offerings to pay him to scale. So instead of dealing with it and talking to him about it and working through it, they just said, we're going to release you from your call. That's not right. right? That's, that's wicked. That's bad. Did they have a lot of funds from their offerings? I mean, They had built up a fund over time to pay the pastor with. But I meant by using the fund, and not using their offerings to pay the pastor, how were their funds doing? I have no idea, yeah. but the thing is is that when they had to switch over to the funds, 
to the offerings, paying from those primarily or whatever, they didn't have enough and they didn't plan for it. Yeah. It was poor planning, it was Party foolish. Or hoarding and being right. greedy. Right. But there was probably, something wrong. Mm -hmm. that somebody probably left that endowment to the church that passed away. I have no idea and the specifics. The Louisiana that happened to. Yeah. A wealthy woman was paying the pastor and 80% of the budget. Yep. And then when she passed away, and a couple of years later, the kids got all the money, and the church had to release their pastor. Yeah. And then well, he probably sought a release so he could go get <coughs> go somewhere else where they were going to pay him. Yeah. And yeah. They ended up talking to another church in Louisiana to. They got a dual parish. Jointly, mm -hmm. Yeah, call a pastor. Yeah. That they could probably. That's happening more and more. Forward. Yeah. yeah. It's happening more and more because we're having a shortage. I talked to a friend of mine. This is a off, off topic, but I talked to a friend of mine who's a circuit visitor up in Iowa, and he said we're starting to feel the shortage up here at least. He said because they have a vac like they have a vacancy that he's having to fill in, and he's a circuit visitor, and he's got five kids, and you know he's having to fill in the vacancy every time he calls somebody to fill in. He's like. Even the retired guys are full up doing stuff on Sundays for, for pulpit supply because we just don't have enough pastors for all the churches that we have. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? That he will provide the workers. Pray for the people that they'll contribute. Pay for the people that they'll contribute. Yeah. Pay that they'll continue to be faithful. Yep. And if there needs to be a consolidation of churches, if it's a dual parish situation and they just need to come together as one church, Pray that that would be done peacefully, because that's probably going to happen more and more. Yeah. All right. So. Um, Thank you, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Biden? Why Biden? Inflation. Oh yeah. Everything. That's been coming for a long time, Everything. though. Yeah. That's that's All been. All of that is a contribution <laughs> to the situation. Oh yeah, it's 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 hard all over. But that's why James is so important because. He's talking about being in lean times, in persecution times. I mean, we live in a world that is um, not, it's hostile towards us, right? Um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I listened to something the other day. Sorry, I'm just kind of going off here. I listened to something the other day about how um, we are more, do y'all know the history of Spain and how, they were controlled by the Muslims for, you know, so many hundreds of years. 400 years. 400 years. <laughs> until finally the Reconquista in the late 1400s. They finally took back the Iberian Peninsula from the Muslim Moors and brought it to be Christian again. And someone said, we're kind of in that situation. Like, we live in a time where we're... We're with a government and, and a culture that, that is very hostile towards us. So it's like, what did they do? What did they do to try and rally together and push back and do things to re... To, it's kind of sound radical and everything like that, but to reconquer things for Christ, right? Or to reclaim the land for Christianity. So I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but I'm just saying maybe there needs to be some discussion on what more we can do to try and turn the tide. Yeah. All the Christians should just quit, quit paying their taxes. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, that'll wake them up real quick. Yeah. Because the Christians are the ones that are paying most of the taxes. Yeah. Because they're the hardworking people. Yeah. All I the did. Rest of them are looking for a handout. Yeah. And some and sometimes we can look forward and say, where do we go from here? And I heard something the other day that was very encouraging. And they said, and it was a pastor that said, um, you live your life according to the word of God. And when you see everything out there that's contrary to the Word of God, that's shameful, that's horrible, that's all these things, God promises that He is a present help. And you just take God's Word and set it against all those other things and see which one wins out. Be faithful. That's really all it is. Be faithful to God's Word. Trust in Him. He will sustain you. He will see you through. Right? That's right. It is a test. Absolutely. Um... So, let me see here. Number five. Yes. <laughs> James now turns to those who are being exploited. What encouragement does he give us? I mean, I said that this was kind of mainly for pastors, but it's also for us too, right? Well, it's for everybody. Be patient, the yeah. Lord is coming. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Um, be patient, do what God has given you to do, and trust that He will make it all work out. Yeah. Right? Live for that eternal life. That's right. Keep striving for the end goal. Yeah? The Lord is merciful and um, will treat us like Job if we show the perseverance that He showed. Right? I mean, yeah, he, he fell short. He sinned in questioning God in the way that he did and all these things like that. But he persevered. And when God rebuked him, he humbled himself. And then God exalted him. Right? God exalted him um, double what he had before. And it was all because Job understood his place before God, trusting that God would take care of things. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? That when he lost all that stuff, what did he do? Did he curse God? He worshiped. That's the difference. Right? And we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. Uh, let's, let's, let's go to the apply section. Do James's words in verses 1 through 3 have special application to modern day America? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So again, wealth is not wrong. You can still be a Christian and be wealthy. Um, but our access to wealth can lead us to set our hearts on acquiring more and more and more. Um, it can lead us to exploit other people um, in various ways, right? Um, sometimes we can be more concerned about getting what we need and not being concerned about it exploiting someone halfway around the globe or whatever, or the person down the street or what have you, right? Something to keep in mind. Uh, read Deuteronomy 24.19. So why don't we turn there? Deuteronomy 24.19. I'm going to keep on going. Okay. Deuteronomy 24, 
19 says, uh, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. How does the Lord's concern for the needy and helpless guide the Christian business person who is also concerned about the bottom line? Give to charity. Mm-hmm. Lord loves the cheerful giver. giver. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, these, uh, I think even during COVID a lot, uh, these restaurants that had extra food, mm -hmm. they formed a co-op to right. where all of them, they, they would have somebody come around to all these restaurants and pick up all the leftover food that they didn't sell that day or prepared. Or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Then they'd pick it up and then they'd go drop it off at, uh, you know. But then the government said that wasn't good. It was passing on the disease and everything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but but, but, but yeah. they, had a, they were Christian thinking, yes. Yeah, yeah they did that to us. We used at our church in Dallas, Lamb of God. We used to provide sandwiches and stuff oh, for kids after time. school. Yeah. We and the government well. says you, you, everything's got to be packaged. You can't be doing can't, this in your kitchen. Making sandwiches. Putting in the them kitchen. in a bag and giving it to them. I was waiting for yeah. them to close down wheels on meal. Meals on wheels. I'd say go ahead and sue us and we'll go to the news about it. Or find or find us, and we'll see, and and we'll have the news sort out too. We'll, we'll let everybody know what you're doing, and that you're wanting kids to go hungry, that people are just trying to whatever, you know. But the, and maybe I'm bold. So, <laughs> so many churches are afraid that they're yeah, going to lose their nonprofit status. Mm -hmm. Well, and they're they're they say their hands are tied. I've heard that, and it's it's discouraging. It is mm -hmm. discouraging. Um, because even if they do lose their nonprofit status, I mean, then we'll just have to go back to worshiping in people's homes. I mean, but the Lord will provide, and the church will always stand. You know, that stood for a long time without nonprofit status. So, and those you yeah. know that can give out of their own pocket, you know, we're not. We can still do that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. He, he gives us our daily bread. He does. And yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, all that we need. And that's all that we need, right? Um, so yeah, so um, those Christian business people should, you know, pay their workers fairly and on time. They should give their workers no reason to cry out to God against them and also give to charity. And with to whom much is given, much is required. Yeah. Any other thoughts about that before we go on to the next part? James 5, 12 to 20. Almost done. If not, we'll just we'll just go ahead and keep keep going through. Um, I'll pause for a second to take a sip of coffee. If anybody has any thoughts about what we just went through.
Nope. All right. Who wants to read James 5, verses 12 through 20 for us? and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. The prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if, you, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of, his, of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Okay, so the uh, look portion here on our sheet here. Um, verse 14, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, we don't have space here to describe the possible ways to interpret this phrase. Or see the people's Bible commentary on James for a good overview. Um, I, I, I will say a few things about this, though. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Um, let me see here. Um, so, when we have the anointing... Uh, there's... Let me see here. There's some thoughts, because there's no solid agreement over what it means to anoint someone with oil in the name of the Lord. And I, I do have that right in my pastoral care companion. Like, I can get some um, clove oil or olive oil or whatever and, and do the anointing, because that's what James says you know, we should do. Um, but it, the, the thought, there are several thoughts. So... I mean, the Roman Catholic Church has taken this to be um, like last rites, you know, someone's about to die, they anoint them with oil and things like that. It's provided as a salvific benefit in the afterlife for those who are on the verge of dying, you know, so it's like if someone gets last rites, then it's like they're going straight to heaven. You know, I don't know, I don't know how, how that works with purgatory and everything, but um, anyways, so there's that. Catholic Church. Huh? That's why I quit the Church. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Does I got it? up to three thousand years in purgatory. <laughs> Last time you said that it was only two thousand. So you've been a little mischievous since then. Been a little since then. That's good. <laughs> Just 
figured you'd go somewhere where they wipe the slate clean, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what we do here. Um, so there's, there's that of it. So they have that as a sacrament, right? Um, and so in an opposite point of view sees the application of the oil only, uh, only in a medicinal purpose without religious significance. I don't, I don't think that's true. Um, but some see the pouring of oil as symbolic of God's healing or the presence of the Holy Spirit, because when you were baptized, you were also traditionally in, in the early church also given the uh, chrism, the, the chris, chrismation, that's the anointing with, with olive oil. Um, but I think what happens here, um, since the oil is... Since the anointing with oil is taking place in the name of the Lord, you know, when whenever we do things in the Lord's name, God is actively working, right? In the sense that, you know, I baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We baptize into the name of God. Um, we begin things. You know, so we... We do things in the name of the Lord, and therefore the Lord works through us. And in the anointing of the oil on the sick, it may be viewed as an activity of Jesus himself through us as a means by which to bring spiritual comfort, consolation, um, and that um, since Jesus is the one who is primarily acting in his church, it is in this sense a sacramental act. I won't call it a sacrament, but it is sacramental, uh, a continuation of his earthly ministry of healing, right? Um, prayer over the sick, with the sick, bringing comfort and consolation to the dying and things like that, right? Um, so take that for what it's worth. James is not clear exactly what he means by anointing with oil, um, but there's many ways to interpret it. What, so, what words do you say when you anoint somebody? Um, let me look it up. Hang on. I anoint you with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> let me see. That's a good question. I should have, I should have had this ready. Um, blessing of a home. I don't know if I want oil on my body. Well, I mean, like, you get a tiny bit on your thumb and you do, like, a oh, the sign oh, of the cross, okay. kind of like what we do for a... <laughs> you don't want to be immersed. You know, I'm not going to pour oil on you. That was the thought that was... Pardon me. That would be a dam. That would be a dam. Uh, olive oil. Olive oil. Hmm. Well, I'm trying to find. <coughs> well, they said okay. Well, I'll look it up. Um, well, let me king see here. Charles was ordained as a king. They said they brought oil from the Holy Land and anointed him. Mm -hmm. It was oh, pressed oh. from olives from the Mount of Olives and all that stuff oh. like that. Yeah. Who is um, this, who's you know, this King Charles. King Charles. That, yeah, Charles. When he was in Charles. King. Charles. That whole King Charles thing and that whole family, mm -hmm. they... They all need oil. No, they, <laughs> yeah, they, they say all. they're from the line of David. Mm -hmm. yeah. Their family goes way back Oh, well, so it's they zigged. say that. It's zigged and zagged several times. So... <laughs> 
Charles. Well, I'll I'll look up what I say, what I should, what I what I would say if I did do the anointing because I've seen it in here. Um, you said it's for the living, right? Or, I mean, in the twenty-third Psalm, it says, "Like anoint my head with oil, my uh -huh. cup runneth over." Uh huh. I do. I do have something here for um, a commendation of the dying. It is. It is like Lutheran last rites in a sense, um, where um, I think there is something in here about anointing. But it's basically just reading a lot of scripture about comfort and consolation in the face of death. And then at the very end, um, at the very end, I say, um, uh, let me see, I commend them. And, you know, I say, I, I say their name, go in peace. May God the Father who created you, may God the Son who redeemed you and saved you. With his blood, may God the Holy Spirit, who sanctified you in the water of holy baptism, receive you into the company of saints and angels to await the resurrection and live in the light of his glory forevermore. Amen. And then you just kind of anoint him. Yeah, I can. Um, but I'll, I'll, have, I'll have to look up where that is and, and how it's done and everything like that, because I know that there is something in here about uh, Well, just about make that. sure your oil is from the holy land. <laughs> Do not call common what he is called clean. That's all I have to say. Oh, I should say test, I see. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Just make sure. No, it's like, it's, it's funny because when I was baptized, my grandmother made sure that I was baptized with water from the Jordan River. And I was like, that's really cool. Could have just got it from the tap, though. Would have been the same baptism. Would have been just fine. But I was like, that's kind of neat. That was really yeah. good to have. Yeah, that, that would be it neat. didn't make the baptism any more special or any less or whatever. Well, it's just sure it did. Yeah. No, it didn't. Your, your memory of your I remember it was very nice. Yeah. It was very neat to be able to say that. But I still received the Holy Spirit, whether the water is from the Jordan or from... The aquifer that's the, that was under the church or whatever, or the city well, you know. Huh? The baptism was special. The baptism itself was special. Yeah. yeah. The water that came from it, it wasn't special apart from the word. No. Yeah. And the results. Were not to not to poo poo what my grandmother wanted tried to try, tried to do in that was special. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It showed how special she was. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. she she wanted to be nice. All right, well, um, let's answer these questions. Uh, why does a person who swears, so back to James here, why does a person who swears imply that he or she is not trustworthy? Because most of the people that swear are telling a lie. Hmm. Well, what does it mean to swear in, in the biblical sense of, you know, swearing to do something? What are you doing? You want them to know to be a an oath. Mm -hmm. Taking an oath, you yeah. you 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 want them to you what? Want them to believe you. <laughs> yeah, like you're trying to add something to your promise already. Yeah. Jesus talks about this. Um, I think it's in Matthew. Uh, let's see, uh, in Matthew five thirty-three through thirty-seven. Jesus says, you know, again, you have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is 
the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Yet what you say, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or the devil, right? So what does he mean by that? It's basically saying, you know, I'm going to get that job done. I swear to God, I'll do it, right? No, you shouldn't like it. When you say when you say that, I don't even like using it as an example. You know why? Um, I was I was I was talking to uh, somebody the other day about about uh, what they were reading in the Bible, and they were reading Judges. And if you know Judges, um, if you know Judges and even Joshua, right? Uh, you have. Um, you have these vows being made, right? Joshua, when they come into the promised land, they have one, I forget the, the tribe that tricks them. Have you all heard about that? The tribe um, tricks them and says, uh, you know, we're from far away and we're sojourners in the land and we ask that you would make a covenant with us that, that we could live amongst you and not be harmed. And then they find out that they're actually one of the tribes they're supposed to conquer, Right? But they already made the vow. They already made the covenant. And they can't go back on that covenant because it was made in the name of the Lord. If they go back on the covenant, they'll be cursed for it, right? So their yes had to be yes and their no had to be no. And then there's even uh, one of the judges, Jephthah. He makes a vow, a foolish vow. And he says, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. What was the thing that came out of his house when he returned home? Huh? His firstborn son. His daughter. The only child he ever had. His daughter came out. And he mourned and he wept, and she spent some time mourning and weeping because he had to fulfill that vow, right? Because he swore... He swore to it by the name of the Lord. Like, these are not light things. And it's one of those things that, um, even more than that, if you swear by the God's name, right, if you misuse the name of the Lord in that way, it's not, it's not like vulgar profanity, right? It's not like cussing or something like that. That's vain talk too, right? But what he's talking about here, so vulgar profanity uh, using God's name as an oath may have been less of a problem than calling upon God as a witness to a promise to carry out an anticipated action, right? The one making such an oath called the judgment of God upon himself if he failed to carry out what he swore to do, okay? So basically he's saying, I swear to God, it's just an example, I swear to God, I'll take the trash out, right? That's silly, right? But if you don't take the trash out, who are you answering to? God, right? Um, if you do that, then, then you're basically saying, I'm, I'm big enough and bad enough and strong enough to swear by God's name that I can use it in whatever way that I want to because I'm the one who's going to make this happen, not God, right? It's the same thing that's connected to before when we saw how he said, um, what does he say? Uh, 
you know, come, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a, for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in, in your, uh, you boast in your, Arrogance, all such boasting, is wicked. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. Right? It's the same thing. It's, it's attached to that in the same way. You're boasting that you're the one who's going to carry it, or carry, carry it out. And even more so, I can use God's name to prove that I'm good and I'll make it happen. That's dangerous. Don't play that game. Don't do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? That's all that's required. Yeah, easy. Uh, so you don't need that proof. Just do it. It's that simple. Just do it. Just get it done. And if not, if you can't get it done for one way, for one reason or the other, humble yourself, and God will be gracious. Right? Yeah. All right. So what is the answer to trouble? What is the right response to blessings? See that? I think beginning in verse thirteen. Praise, sing praises. Mm-hmm. So if you're in trouble, what should what should you do? Pray. Pray. Talk to God about it. Uh huh. Yeah. Pray. Yeah. Lament. Ask Him for help. Right. Uh, if you're cheerful, what should you do? Thanks. Yeah. Sing praises to God. Sing praise. Why not? Yeah. You know. Um, it's one of those things of, you know, when we're in trouble, instead of grumbling and complaining, uh, pray, ask God for help. Um, if you're cheerful, don't, you know, you know, the temptation is to gloat over your good fortune or how it's just like, I don't know what all these people have a problem with complaining about. I feel great. <laughs> but you should you should just say let's sing praises to God. It's great, you know. That's why um, I think one time I I, I I sent a text to somebody and said, "Oh, this great thing happened," and they go, "Sing a Te Deum." <laughs> I said, "Sure," we, you know, and 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 you sing because uh, we sang it this morning. It's like we praise you, O God. We acknowledge you to be the Lord. And actually, it's kind of funny. I told a story weeks ago when all that monster hail came through here. I can show you on, I took pictures of the radar on my phone. It literally, our, like our house is right here and it went around our house and then just like dissipated and never touched our house at all. And so I said, and so, and, and so I looked at my wife and I was like, let's sing a Te Deum. And so we actually sang the Te Deum in, in, in thanks and praise to God for, for sparing us of it, you know? Um, but it's like, it's one of those things of saying, when we're blessed, you know, sing praise, um, give, give, give thanks. Um, and that way, you know, that's a humble thing to do too, right? Um, it's humbling to pray. It's humbling to sing praise. And that's what God asks of us, uh, that we would be humble and uh, submit ourselves to God. And in that sense, it's like what James said before, you know, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Any thoughts about that? Any questions? Yeah, it sounds so easy. You know, the, 
You know, it's it's kind of funny. The right thing to do always sounds really easy, doesn't it? <laughs> but in faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is easy. You know, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. And I'm, you know, as a pastor, I shouldn't be surprised by God's grace, but I am. It's kind of amazing. I I, I am, and I pray that I'll continue to be surprised more and more and more as the years go on. To say, God, it's kind of amazing. When I prayed for something, uh, not that this was the only reason why I was praying, but I felt better, you know? I felt better that now I handed it over to you. You're taking care of these things. And not only that, if the prayer is answered, that's even more surprising, right? Um, God's will being done is just magnificent. It's great. It's beautiful. Even, even if it is not what you expect. In the end, knowing that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God, working the good of all for the church. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. Um, so, next question, though. In, in, in our day, sickness is often, dealt with, uh, is often dealt with in a rather clinical way, setting the illness apart from the spiritual life of the sick person. How does James advise God's people to deal with sickness? Focus on the following words. Elders. So we have elders, prayer, confess, and forgive. What are the elders to do? They're supposed to go visit everybody that's sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To pray for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here. Um, and I, I, it, this is something that's been re reestablished in recent years. And whenever you read about elders in the New Testament, they're not the elders like what we would understand them to be. Our 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 elders in our churches today that is a man made office. Um, it is an office for the laity to assist the pastor in some way. Whenever you read. The elders in the New Testament, like in Peter, sorry, in uh, Paul with Timothy and Titus, um, he's talking about ordained pastors because they're the presbyters, the presbyteros. The presbyters are ordained; they're pastors, uh, just like the deacons. The deacons are are supposed to be ordained as well, just like the bishops or the overseers, right? So these are all clergy in a sense, but that does not mean that. Uh, that does not mean that the people in the church can't go see people, right? That means that uh, it's still, whenever Jesus is on the last day having the sheep and the goats, the sheep aren't just the pastors. He, that's all Christians, right? When, you, when I was sick, you visited me, right? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. All those things, right? That's to all Christians. But what he's also talking about here. James is saying, you know, um, if someone is um, if someone is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And when that's done in the name of the Lord, that's supposed to be an official pastoral act, right? Um, it's one of those things that's just been given for the pastoral uh, for the office of the pastor to carry out for the sake of the church in the stead of Christ. Um, but that does not mean that members can't go see 
their friends when they're hurting or, or in the hospital or sick or whatever. In fact, all the more we should, right? We should go see people. We should pray with them. But what, what, uh, what James is talking about here is not just a casual visit. This is like serious, you know, pr- proclamation of the word, you know, for their comfort and consolation. So I think primarily, again, he's speaking to pastors, but generally also to everybody. You know, all people, all Christians should go visit. All Christians. And if you have the structure like we have, where you have a pastor and then the elders, which even though it's a man-made position within the congregation, they're still to lead the way by example of visiting and, you know, calling on people and praying for them and all these things like that, for sure. Any thoughts about that? Have you all ever heard that before, that the elders in the Bible are really pastors? Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. I apologize for not calling recently on any of y'all. My neighbor was right next door, and she is a Christian, not a Lutheran, not a practicing, but she is a Christian woman and helped me with my my needs at that time. Well, sure. And it's not that I don't love y'all. And <laughs> no, you're fine. No, I know it's... how you feel. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if, if what you were going through was going to be prolonged, because you were recently in the hospital for observation, for testing and things like that, if you were going to be in there for a couple of days, you know, of I course, would we, would have, we, we would have sent out, you know, the message and have people come see you for sure. You and know. you did call. <clears throat> you were there. But it's one of those things, it's like, if you're in the hospital, at least let me know or let somebody else know who can let me know or something like that, because I'd love to come see you or, or, or at least come give the word of God to you for comfort and consolation. Um, most of the time, though, and I've, I've heard, and we've talked about this before, right? Where it's like a lot of people will say, don't trouble yourself. Don't, don't make an extra special trip or this, that, and the other. I'm just like, this is what I've been called to do, and I love to do it, and I'd love to take care of it. And when somebody says, don't bother, you're basically uh, robbing them of the opportunity to show God's love, right? So, and that's, that's a stern way of looking at it, but some, sometimes people need to be told, stop it. You just need to be taken care of, right? Not just physically, but spiritually, right? And we should take care of each other spiritually in that sense. So if you're in the hospital, let me know. If you're sick, let us know. Let somebody know. I know that Mary Martha goes to you know, great lengths to provide food and things like that for people. So yeah, it's, it's one of the ways of serving, taking care of each other. It's a good thing. So doesn't Danita have a daughter or something that lives? Her son. Yeah. Her son. Her lives son. Here. I was talking to her son yesterday. Didn't yeah. he a doctor? That's no. the doctor. No. No, that's no. Dorothy Herman. No. He her. runs a baseball place across from the GB. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if something happens to Benita, he will. He has my phone you. number now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I talked. I called her phone and he answered. So. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, so I know where she is and everything like that. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so the elders, you know, so the pastors primarily, but also especially the people need to come and provide the word of God. I, in fact, you know what? If, if anybody's interested in this, and I'll remind me of it 
after we're done here. If anybody's interested for having these things, I have, um, there's a publication put out by CPH called uh, Visitations, and it's something for laity that they can have. And um, if y'all want one, I can see about getting like a, bun like a bundle of them or something like that. Uh, it's a, it's a small book and it's just full of little bedside, um, devotions to say with somebody. And even in the back of it, there's, uh, rites for, I think, emergency baptism and even commendation of the dying when a pastor is not present. Very helpful stuff. So if you'd like to have one of those, talk to me or I'll, I'll go get it. I'll show it to you after we're done here and, and. Um, if you'd like to have one of those just on hand in your car or something like that, it's even good for personal devotions when you're not feeling so great as well. So, maybe um, just get some from the rack. Maybe they're not cheap though, so we'll we'll take a look at it for sure. Yeah. Um, so we talked about elders. Now prayer. What do we do about? So how does James advise God's people to deal with sickness in prayer? Yeah. Pray and pray. Yeah, pray, pray that God would do something, right? What else? Any, I mean, is it, is it that simple? It says James's <laughs> final words about prayer focus on forgiveness. Right. Yeah. yeah. Pastor's prayer means more than a language prayer. <laughs> Does it? Yeah, it says the righteous prayer. Ah, uh, okay. Well, okay, that's an interesting thought. I don't think that that's necessarily I think it is. only for pastors. No, I mean... The well, pastor. the prayer... Well, was, so it says what? The prayer... Um, uh, the righteous person has great yes. power as it is working. Right. So... When... To deal with the first part, the prayer for salvation... Right and forgiveness is what you're talking about, right? That was in the study notes, in the study Bible. Um, so yes, what James I think is primarily looking at here is to say, you know, your will be done, because it says what um, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, right? So it's not the power of the prayer for the person, but the Lord is doing the work through the prayer, right? that the Lord will raise them up. That's also ambiguous in a sense to include the resurrection on the last day. To comfort them to say, though you may die, hold fast and you will be given the crown of life and you will be raised from the dead on the last day. Right? The Lord will raise you up. Yeah. So that's, that's one side of it. The forgiveness of sins so that you will be resurrected on the last day. Now for the righteous person... Uh, and I think in the King James, it says what? The prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? I think I like that translation better. It sounds nicer. Um, so you're saying that a pastor is more righteous? How so? He's ordained. Mm. Okay. He has the position as okay. intermediary between us and Christ. Okay. It's very... It's like we can pray straight to God. Yeah. You don't need to go to confession absolution, right. yeah. But you ask it right <clears throat> Well, I say you don't need to, quote unquote, but it's there for you, right? Um, 
That's why Christ established the office. Yeah, well, and that makes a lot of people uncomfortable because that makes us seem a lot like Roman Catholics on some level, if you think of it that way. Because do you... Do you it, are you... Yeah, I mean... Do you know what I mean by that? Do you know what I mean by that when, when I say it seems like we're Roman Catholic? Because whenever a priest is ordained in the Roman Catholic Church, the laying on of hands is a giving of the indelible character, which, which means that you know, now they are given special power to administer the sacraments and things like that. We kind of see it in a similar way, but it's not the same way because I'm not given an, an indelible character that makes me special. But in some sense, pastors are given uh, the authority. Otherwise, otherwise, why would he have given you the authority to forgive? That's right. He gives authority. He doesn't, you know, and, and, and it's not necessarily power, but it's authority to do these things in his stead, right? It is Christ who does these things through pastors. Uh, whether that makes us more righteous, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just places us in a different office. <laughs> places us in a different position, right? But a special position to carry out the works of Christ. Does it make me... Well, I don't know. It's like, it's one of those things. It's like, um, it brings into effect this all, all this stuff about degrees of glory and whatnot in heaven and da-da-da-da-da, which I don't really want to get into right now. Um, but it's like, it's one of these things of like, when we said in the Athanasian Creed and like what James gets to as well, that all people will rise again on the last day with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And it's one of those things, it's like, on some level, the apostles are going to be held to a, to, to a higher degree of honor in some sense because of what they've done. King David is, uh, Moses will be, Elijah will be. But that doesn't diminish our glory. That doesn't diminish our bliss and joy in Christ when we have triumphed in faith, right? So when we say that the apostles hold a special position of honor, that doesn't diminish you at all. That means that you get to share in God's glory with them and give thanks to God for what he has done through them. Because when you get to heaven, that's not going to be... You're not going to care. You're not going to care. You're not going to... Well, yeah, if he's got more honor than what you do, yeah. all you're going to care about is just praising to the Lord and giving. It's going to be. This is what I think it's going to be, and I and I don't want to go on about this too much. But this is what I think it's going to be. You're going to look and you're going to say, "What?" Like you're going to get to heaven or on, you know, in the resurrection, and you're going to go, "Wow, Moses! I oh my goodness, thank God for you, right? Thank God for you and what you have done and what he has done through you." You're going to say, King David? Oh, wow, so nice to meet you. But then you're also going to say, you know, um, you know, like your friend Tom's grandmother, you go, oh, my goodness, I've heard so much about you, and I know so much about you and what you've done for Tom, you know, that sort of stuff, right? It's, it's, it's going to be just nothing but pure joy and bliss, but you're also going to say, wow, St. Paul, this is fantastic, you know? Um, it's just you're, 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 you're going to be in awe and enjoy, right? I think you're just going to be happy to see whoever's up there and then well, say... Just see God. Well, of course. Jesus, that's what's going to be. Yeah. Well, we're going to be equal. Well, right. We're all equal. Everything. Well, I don't... I don't, I don't, I don't well, 
will be equal in God's glory. But like I said, I think there's degrees of honor in some sense because Jesus tells his apostles, you will sit on 12 thrones. He doesn't, he doesn't promise us that. But it doesn't mean that they're better than us. It doesn't mean that they have higher glory than us. It just means that they're given honor. No, okay, I'm not going to say they're more righteous. Because we are all made righteous in God's eyes through Christ. But adjectives quit being once you're up there. Adjectives quit being. Yeah, there's no adjective once you you're up there in heaven. Yeah, I guess. Well, it, it, in the Transfiguration, why didn't just you know Joe Schmo and and Tommy Two Tone show up instead of Moses and Elijah? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I say that jokingly, but it's like Moses and Elijah hold a special honor because of what God did through them. Uh, I don't know if it makes them more righteous. I wouldn't say that it makes them more righteous. It gives them a certain degree of honor. But like I said, that honor does not diminish the glory that is won through Christ for all people. The disciples could recognize that was Moses. And That's right. Elijah. They they knew and not who it was. Two people they never knew yeah. about. They knew them. I don't know how. Maybe the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. But anyways, I didn't mean to get off into that. But I meant to say. But like you know, it's one of those things that a righteous person is made righteous through the righteous one who is Jesus. Right. That Christians, when you pray, made righteous through. Christ, that avails much, right? Um, and when you are righteous, like, so a person is only righteous because of the one who is righteous, Jesus Christ. So when you pray in his name according to his will, that you, you know, those things are heard for the sake of Christ, okay? I don't want to belabor that too much, but prayer is, some people push against the, the adjective, you know, the, the, not the adjective, but the, the, the label, you know, the power of prayer. I've heard people push against that. It's like, well, it's God's power. And you go, yeah, but, I mean, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Prayer is powerful because of the one you're praying to who has the power, yeah? So I'm not against the, the, the phrase, the power of prayer, but it's kind of like what I say about faith, right? Prayer to who, you know? Um, so with prayer, we ask God to heal, but we also ask God to you know, bless the doctors and the uh, staff, the hospital, and things like that. But also that if it is their will, if, if it is God's will that they should die, that they would be kept to the resurrection, right? kept in the true faith. That is a righteous prayer, I believe. Um, and God certainly smiles on that kind of prayer, certainly as well as the prayer for healing, as well as the prayer for peace and comfort and joy and things like that, right? Um, how about confess? How does James advise God's people to deal with sickness with the word confess? Verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so confess your sins to one another, <coughs> forgive, right? Um, sometimes the Lord uses sickness to chasten us, to discipline us, right? 
um, for lack of a better phrase, to knock us down a peg or two, right? Um, so that when we confess our sins, we unburden our consciences and we are ready to ask the Lord to forgive us. Um, and the reason for this chastening may come to an end, uh, but even if, even if chastening plays no part in our sickness, we still need to confess our sins and find God's forgiveness. The devil often uses sickness to tempt us to doubt God's love, right? He tries to use it like, like he did with Job. Um, but when we have people close to us or when you are burdened with sickness or illness, it reminds you of your mortality. It reminds you that someday you will die. And to resolve and reconcile where you can, right? And confess your sin to someone else or, you know, ask for forgiveness from someone else or whatever, you know, so that your conscience would not be burdened with that. Any thoughts or questions about that? Is a penitent man righteous? I would say so. I would say yeah. so, yeah. So. A, a, a penitent man is a repentant man. Yeah. And repentance requires faith. And, yeah. Uh, you're Penitent. I mean, I guess you're confessing, mm -hmm. and by doing that, you're you're righteous. Yeah, confessing and being absolved by God's grace makes you righteous. Yeah. Yeah. Repentance is never apart from God's grace. Can't be. True. True repentance can't be. Right. Repentance is not something we do. It's what God does through us to turn us from sin. Yeah. Um, or we're in cooperation there too absolutely how about forgive how does James advise God's people to deal with sickness with the word forgive what do you think If someone confesses their sin to you, this is one side of it. If someone confesses their sin against you to you, what are you supposed to do? Forgive them. Forgive them. Oh, yeah. not get even or anything. What's that? Not get even or <clears throat> No, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> get even, yeah. Um, yeah, forgive. And then also... When, uh, when, when we are forgiven, right? What does he say? Um, if he has committed sins, he will, you know, the, pr the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will, Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, so when we are forgiven, we can be sure that God will give us what is best for us, right? Your conscience is unburdened and they're more able to rely on God. Uh, it's kind of like what St. Peter also says. Um, what does he say? He says, uh, Peter says something about how he says, um, yeah, this is really interesting. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's right. Okay, 1 Peter 4, verse 7. 
He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Right? And he also says elsewhere about husbands and wives, 1 Peter 3, 7. And I say that because I have this on my phone on the, on the thing here. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered right? Um, that is that doing things in faith from the place of forgiveness means that your prayers won't be hindered in that you will be more able to actually pray for what you need. Your mind is clear about everything else to the point where you can focus on the heavenly things and say, God, what I really need is this, or what that person really needs is this. Please give it to them, right? So, um, the for, but working from a place of forgiveness allows you to think more clearly and more freely about what it is you should pray for. Yeah. Does that make sense? Y'all, would y'all agree with that? Okay. Hope so. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm wrong, let me know. If you don't, if you don't think so, let me know. Um, but it's something to think about. Something to think about for sure. Um, last question on the discuss portion. What encouragement can we draw from the story of, of Elijah? What encouragement can we draw from that story? Prayer is pretty powerful. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, so prayer is powerful, and what does God do? Answer. He answers prayers. If it's a, a, something worthwhile to God, yeah, not just, oh, Lord, give me a Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> well, he may give it to you, if only to chastise you. <laughs> you know, that... That Mercedes-Benz might bring you a lot of problems, right? And that'll be all the better for you if you pay attention, I guess. If you pay attention. I doubt if I get it. Yeah. Well, and in, in that sense, if he doesn't give it to you, he's answered it because he's being merciful on some level, right? He don't want you to have it. That's right. He doesn't want you to have it and probably for your good, right? Don't need it. Definitely for your good. Right, Yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Prayer is powerful and God answers our prayers. And and people say, you know, it's like, I think, Tim, I think maybe you say this at least fairly frequently. People will say, uh, you know, God's, God's not answering my prayers. It's like, yeah, he is. Not like not giving you what you've asked for is an answer to your prayer. The answer is no. Right. And, and, and the answer is no. And maybe, but you won't know until later whether it was a, a, the answer of we'll just wait right it may be hmm. i mean sometimes the answer is wait because that's what, that's in the psalms a lot right wait upon the lord mm -hmm. you know those that wait upon the lord this is this this is in isaiah right those that wait upon the lord will mount up on wings like eagles right those who wait upon the lord so thanks for the encouragement yeah yeah <laughs> Be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, it's a good one. Apply. 
let's 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 move on to apply real quick. Why are the last two verses in the book of James a fitting conclusion to this very practical book for Christian living? How do they summarize what our attitude should be? So let's just do that first one. The last two verses in the book of James. So why are the last two verses uh, a a fitting conclusion to this very practical book for Christian living? Prayer. Prayer? Mm-hmm. How so? Well, we just, we've been discussing. Well, I'd like to hear it from you. <laughs> Can you put it in your own words? Well, uh, hopefully when I pray, sometimes I want my prayers answered. Yeah. Okay. So. Sometimes you want them answered? Well, actually, all the time. <laughs> but no, some of my prayers are kind of not realistic. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. Pray, pray. I mean, it's one of those things, it's like, I think in Romans 8, he talks about how the Holy Spirit uh, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And we've taken that and applied it in the sense that God, that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and packages them up perfectly to present before God so that he hears them in the right way. <clears throat> not that he's not able to do that, but it's like he he helps us in our weaknesses in that way too. Yeah. So even though we're not saying the quote-unquote perfect prayer, he hears it as if it is perfect because it is made perfect in him yeah. by faith. Thank you. Well, I know during this time with Nick, the beginning of the, of, we were praying a lot and we didn't quite know what to pray for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in that situation too, you know, I don't know what to pray for, but I'm praying. Yeah. And um, then finally we kind of quit praying, got kind of tired of praying, and one of Paul's friends said, well, now it's time to stop and listen. Yeah, it's time to wait. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, prayer really really help me for my daughter. Sure. Yeah. 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 And you have a lot of prayers going up for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. God is God has been gracious. Yeah. So yes. he, he he answered. He sure did. So in this last these last two verses here, it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, so this is calling us, this is going to shift it a little bit away from prayer, just a little bit. You know, these, these last two verses really call us to be concerned about those who are wandering from God. We should pray for them. God is... What's that? Yeah, we should we should go to them in love and speak the truth. Yeah, um, you know they call on us to preach God's law as strongly as James does, and then be ready to announce God's grace and 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 forgiveness on those who turn from their sin, right? Turn from their wandering. <clears throat> so it's 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 a privilege to be used by the Lord to bring a brother or sister back to the fold. Um, any other thoughts about that? 
I think he's telling us to live and walk in faith, mm -hmm. sing praises. Yeah. I was, I was, I'll, I'll close, I'll close with this. Since James is a very practical book, but rooted in faith, right? Rooted in faith. It has to be. Otherwise, it's not practical, right? Um, I heard this the other day. A lot of people in, <clears throat> I don't know, in Christianity in America, we're lamenting a lot about how it's on, it's waning, right? It's going down. It seems like, you know, it's going down because what, the churches are, sh are shrinking? And I heard this analogy, and I think it's a pretty fitting analogy. Um, let me ask you a question. Can you tell the difference between a person that says, I like baseball, and then a person who can tell you the batting average of the starting lineup for their favorite team? Mm -hmm. You can tell the difference between those two people, right? One, one says, oh yeah, I've got that baseball cap in my closet and I bring it out every time I watch the game or when I remember to watch the game or whatever. You know, while the other person's just like, I watch every game, I follow the players, I, I know exactly, you know, uh, the batting average, the RBIs, you know, all this stuff. <clears throat> In the same ways, that's, that's how Christians ought to be, right? And that's how Christians, that's kind of the categories you fall into. That there are Christians by word, and then there are Christians by word and deed, you know? That there are Christians who who say I'm a Christian, and but they don't go to church. They maybe go on Christmas and Easter, um, and then and but like it's kind of like saying, well, I've got the baseball cap for the Astros, but I can't tell you who's playing first base or who's pitching or whatever, because I you know really don't follow it that closely. It's like, well, then are you really a fan of the Astros or whatever that sort of thing? I think I heard someone was just like, but what happens when you live in a place where your baseball team is terrible and nobody even wants to wear the baseball cap? <laughs> because they're not doing the things that they should be doing as a team or whatever. You know, you're disappointed in them. They're not fulfilling what they should be doing. It's kind of like with church, right? That people who, um, who go to church and say they're a Christian, but they don't live like Christians. And even that means that they engage too much in despair more than anything because they wish that it would go back to the old days or whatever days that they remember being really, really good. Not a lot of people want to be around that because, well, for one thing, it's like it's not really engaging in the hope that is there for you, right? And, and I heard it put this way, very, and I think it's very, very good, that we engage a lot in nostalgia. Right? Because things are so bad right now, we engage a lot in the, oh man, I remember what was so good back then, I wish I could just go back to it, right? So when you desire the past, I thought this was very profound, when you desire the past and you despair about the future, you, sorry, sorry, when you desire the past and you despair about the present, you what is it? You do not, uh, what is it? You, you hinder the future from being what it should be. 
When you're too nostalgic about the past and when you're too despairing about the present, you have no hope for the future. And therefore, you don't do the things for the future. Bringing up, you know, children or converts in the faith or serving people, praying for them, having hope and encouraging people, praying when you're joyful, you know, give praise, right? That is what we're called to do, to remember that God is always with us. He is always present with us, especially since we are temples of the Holy Spirit. In our baptisms, God is with us. He loves us. We are his children. He has promised never to, to, uh, to leave us nor forsake us. You know, Christ is always with us wherever we go. And therefore, we have hope and we have joy and we have hope for a future. Jeremiah 29, right? 29.11? That's right. I have plans to prosper you, right? So as we go forward here, using what we've learned from James, um, we, may, we may need to remind each other, hey, you should pray about that. Hey, let's give praise to God for that, right? Or even just have it in your common speech when someone says something, you know, it's like, Oh my goodness, I got a good diagnosis today. Thanks be to God. God be praised. Alleluia, right? I mean, it's amazing how much that will change people's perception on things. And even those little words of encouragement in the word of God make a big, big difference. So start small if you gotta, but that small little word can really make a difference. Okay. Any thoughts or questions about this before we close? Okay, well, in that case, let's, let's pray, uh, and let's pray as our Lord has taught us. So taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.